over, bud? You've been dethroned. What's a brewery worth? Well, if you're modern times, both dick and all. We're gonna dive into what makes Jeremy's favorite type of beer a lifestyle brand. This is It's All Beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, where 40 years in, for all the things that have gone wrong in craft beer, we have managed to avoid invading a foreign country. Now, the Brew Dogs did launch a rocket one time at uh, Denmark in, in, a, in, a, in a weird marketing campaign that just landed in the, in the ocean. And I think Greg Koch ended up trying to sue Germany after being butthurt about his uh, German brewery. So we take back what Jeremy's saying. <laughs> and uh, and about the movie Sword in the Stone before we gently informed that Sword in the Stone was a Disney movie and did not take place in Germany. But my point still stands. Nobody in craft beer has invaded anybody. And you know what? We've got that. I'm Jeremy. Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman, and you are wrong. There were plenty of craft beer owners that tried to invade one of their employees' personal spaces and all the sexual harassment <laughs> not, that happened. But not a foreign country. And if and if uh, uh, and if if watching uh, our government at work has taught me anything, it's that uh, a woman's uh, naughty parts are definitely not a foreign country. <laughs> They're kind of up for grabs. <laughs> They're like my body, my choice. Until it comes to abortion, sexual fact, harassment fact, by if, an employer. If you, in fact, if you were the previous president, they're very much up for grabs. <laughs> That's right. We're 10 seconds in and we got to grab him by the pussy joke. How you doing, Tyler? What I'm is- good. How are you, Jeremy? <laughs> Uh, why do you say that with that accusing tone? Well, is it because I... Because you've been huffing and puffing like a fat kid at skinny camp? <laughs> because I, I pretty much am a fat kid at skinny camp. That's ex- that is pretty much what is happening to me right now. Um, no, I did, uh, I, I did bike to work today because of, uh, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, COVID did shred my lungs and I'm trying to, uh, be able to keep up with a one-year-old, which is harder than it sounds. Preview of coming attractions, Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens to you. We're like, motherfucker, that kid moves too fast. It's <laughs> gonna hook up a fishing pole to him so I can just yank her back. And then you know, have you seen gas prices lately? Good Christ! Fuck. Yeah, I have. I drive for a living, Jeremy. <laughs> so you know, it just seemed like a good idea to to do that. It seemed it seemed like a good idea this morning. About halfway uh, home today, it seemed. If I would have known, I would have picked you up on my way here. <laughs> Uh, but what did you bring us today? Uh, we're starting out with the Ada County Stout from uh, Woodland Empire here locally. Nice little kind of jab at Bourbon County. Uh, it's a stout aged in whiskey barrels with raw c- cacao. Cacao? Cacao, yeah, sure. Uh, cold brew and cold brew necker coffee. Or you could just be a white guy and say cocoa. Yes. <laughs> Uh, this is one of my favorite. I'm trying to be next level white guy where they're like, cacao. Oh, so a pretentious asshole. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've always loved this release every year. It's probably my favorite like barrel age release that comes out locally. It's it's a contender for Bourbon County, I feel. I, I, I feel like this year is slightly lacking the body. Um, it's got a little bit of a, um, like a, like a bitter finish. Yeah, I was going to say it's got a little bitter finish. I mean, an, another one of my favorites. I, I will say, people can talk crap on the local Boise beer scene. And they do. A with lot. Gu- with gusto. But I think we, in this valley, do bourbon barrel aged stouts very well. I agree. And I think this was a this was an exceptionally good one. But um, I think this year's... I don't know. It almost seems boozier than I remember. But... Like, boozier, but not. It's 14%. And it's always been 14%, to my yeah. knowledge. I think one year it hit 15 But there's not as much flavor in the background, at least from what I'm tasting so far, to kind of hide some of that booziness. We're really running the gambit to, on this episode because you brought Ada County Stout. And uh, follow that up. Well, I guess we'll get into what, you're, what we're following that up with. We will. <laughs> But uh, it ties the other one ties into an article. Um, but before we get there, uh, what's a brewery worth news now? Well, we have some breaking news that. Oh, that's right. I forgot. I almost, uh, skipped, <laughs> almost skipped over that. Yeah. So Ben sent this to me in a screenshot before I got here. So got to give credit where credit is due. Um, it was a Facebook post from 450 North Brewing Company that said, As of today, we are happy to announce 
that our slushies are now all shelf stable. It's been a long road, a couple of years of planning, and a big investment in infrastructure that has led us to more sustainable and dependable product. We thank everyone who has supported our slushy brand for getting us where we are today. Two praying hands emojis. We look forward to a big and bright future serving more folks than ever before. And I went, oh, that's kind of sad. We won't have hand grenades to make fun of. Uh, <laughs> 450 North has been one of our favorite whipping boys. <laughs> Jeremy, if people are going, what the fuck are they talking about? You want to give them a brief little, like, five-second rundown? Uh, 450 North cans had a tendency to explode. <laughs> so... That's about as as a, a brief a rundown as I can give you. I mean, a little bit, a, a, a little bit more, a little bit more in depth, although not really. Um, uh, Four Fifty North is a brewery most known for their uh, for their slush fruit fruited slushy sours. I mean, basically, they take a sour base and they blend it with. Um, the first with, reason we knew about them, they had blended it. They advertised that beer as an eight and a half percent slushy sour. But when multiple customers started testing it, it came out, it was like 2% alcohol, and literally, like, they added more fruit juice to that than they than was, fruit juice has in it. Right. It wasn't, it, we weren't drinking a beer at that point in time. You were drinking pureed fruit with a bit of beer added. Yeah. You were drinking a, a beer cocktail. And by the way, not a really strong one either. So, uh, they posted some pictures, and from looking at the pictures, I was trying to read through the comments to see exactly what the only thing i can guess is that machine right there uh if you look in the bottom right picture of the picture we'll post um is what i'm assuming is a pasteurizer so it kills off any yeast that would be in the beer to keep it from re-fermenting in the can and when it re-ferments in the can it produces more alcohol and CO2, but when you're in a confined space, that CO2 expands, and then you blow up a can. <laughs> uh, There's some spectacular, If you, you'll you have to go back through our Instagram feed, but at, at least a couple of times, we have posted some spectacular pictures of can bombs. What also got me was reading through the comments, they were like, oh, are you going to start adding more distribution? And you'd see like 450 North comment, they're like, we already distribute in 20 states. And I'm like, how the fuck were you distributing in 20 fucking states when you had allegedly your most popular line popping off like fucking Ukraine with <laughs> Russia at the border? I imagine a, uh, I imagine a whole... How'd you get it to a wholesaler without that fucking truck flipping over out of fucking explosions? I'm just, I'm just picturing, like, a truck heading down the highway in summer, and all of a sudden just exploding and brilliant... All of a sudden just spewing pink goo from yeah. the back? Just, 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 just disappears in a... Just, <laughs> boom, boom. Just... You know, just a blob of like, yeah. The semi trailer just expands at the side, and the trucker's like, "Nope, not opening that door." <laughs> he just pulls over and walks away. <laughs> Unhooks the back trailer and drives off. Yeah, <laughs> this is now somebody else's problem. <laughs> I feel bad for that state trooper that gave me a ticket last week. He's gonna get hosed. Literally. <laughs> Uh, congratulations, 450 North, I guess. You <laughs> finally did what is required for selling a packaged beer to consumers. You finally stopped fucking blaming a consumer, being like, you should have refrigerated. Instead, you actually did your due fucking diligence as a company, not being cutbags, to fucking pasteurize your own beer, make sure it wouldn't blow up into customers' hands. Tell me how you really feel, Tyler. <laughs> and that is all. I did appreciate um, one of the one of our uh, one of the Boise beer enthusiasts, uh, uh, most prolific shit talkers, who uh, on that on that article uh, posted a little uh, uh, posted a little meme that said, "Eventually, all the dudes who went from pureed goza to pastry stouts to mead will be like soda." It turns out what I actually wanted was soda. <laughs> uh, well done, Kyle. <laughs> ah. <laughs> I won't. I, I won't mention the heretic <laughs> lineup. <laughs> Don't worry about that one. Uh, well, Jeremy, what are we starting with today? 
All right, now, what's a brewery worth news now? Um, you heard it here first, or at least Tyler uh, called what was actually, in retrospect, pretty fucking obvious. Uh, Modern Times uh, is looking for a buyer in a desperate attempt to get itself back on firm financial ground. Um, there is some question about how much that that company is worth at this point in time, uh, given their recent performance and, shall we say, less than honorable reputation right now. Uh, this comes from a Good Beer Hunting article by Kate Bernat. Um, she talked to the current CEO of Modern Times, uh, Jennifer Briggs, who said, if, if there was a buyer right now, we would cer certainly entertain them. Uh, but finding a buyer right now could be difficult. Uh, Modern Times is like that guy you knew in your 20s who lived out of a van with a big-breasted chick riding a grift and airbrushed on the side of his van, which, by the way, he spent his entire life savings to have done. But that's okay because he just started this drop sale business on the internet selling t-shirts to say I'm with stupid, but it's cool because there's like five arrows pointing in every direction. See, that guy, the guy that desperately needs some female influence, that's Modern Times right now. And at the, and at I was going to say the shirt that says, I may not go down in history, but I'll go down on your sister. <laughs> or that one, yeah. yeah. Same. It, yeah. The, 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 there's, a, there's, a, there's a paradox, because at one point in time you realize this guy desperately needs female influence. And at the same time, if you care about any of the females in your life, you would steer them away from him. <laughs> That's modern yeah. times right now. We all know that guy. And if you don't know that guy, you've probably... You are that, that guy. guy. <laughs> or have been that guy. Um... In fact, it actually does fall to a woman to try to sort out Modern Times' shit. And... Shocking. And Modern Times does have a PhD in shit, piled higher and deeper. Um, Briggs was given access to the company financials back in November of last year. and After she took over, correct? After she took over, yes. After she agreed and signed Which, the paper. Who signs the papers to be a CEO without going... That's like buying a company and being like... I take you for your word on the books. Eh. I mean, but at the same time, I feel like if you if you're gonna be a CEO of Modern Times right then, you knew shit was fucked up. Yeah, but now, at least I mean, try to educate yourself on how fucked it was. <laughs> um, apparently, uh, uh, quite fucked. Um, well, she was given the access to the company financials back in November of last year, and. Actually, when that happens, I picture this picture a woman sitting down in front of this giant book, and when she opens the cover, the spirits of the damned brew, bro, uh, dude bros come streaming out. Just, and she just closes <laughs> it and goes, <laughs> deal with you at New Year's. <laughs> um, she commented that there was a lot of debt that the company took on during the years of rapid expansion um, that were in absolutely no way supported by an increase in revenue. Briggs did not say how much that debt was, Um but uh, talking to uh, uh, Bernat did say, quote, it's very much it's very much every day feels like I've lived a week. Been there. <laughs> Which that's that's not a great review of your financial situation. We're like, you're literally aging me at seven times. I'm, I'm <laughs> aging in dog years right now, guys. Just this is this is awful. Um, now, the question of how much the brewery is worth. It's very much on the table right now because during the last fundraising effort in 2019, Modern Times valued themselves at $254 million. Which, to stop you right there, we did an episode back in 2019 and we brought this up and said how astronomically stupid and overvalued that was. And I kind of hinted at that last time, but I couldn't find the actual numbers because Brewbound added a paywall after that, and so mm -hmm. we couldn't ever get back to that original article we found. Well... Bernat, uh, yeah, she, she laid it out for you. So, Jeremy, would you like to rattle that off? Um, at 2019, uh, well, let's, let's back up a little bit. Um, when you value a brewery, I think we've covered this before, but let's go ahead and just do this again. When you value a brewery, you're usually talking about um, a dollar amount per barrels produced per year, right? Mm -hmm. So, because to produce above a certain amount of barrels, you have to have a certain size equipment. So that's going to figure into your dollar amount plus distribution network. That'll all figure kind of dollar amounts. You're just upfront, easiest, digestible. Yeah, it just, it just, it's a great, it's a, it's a, it's easy way to say, okay, this brewery is, you know, it, you know, um, this is worth X amount of dollars per barrel per year, right? In 2019, the annual production of Modern Times was 70,300 barrels per year, um, which 
uh, if they valued themselves at $254 million, works out at 3000 Which they did for their they did. fundraising. That works out to $3,755 per barrel per year produced. And to give you some perspective on that number, Ballast Point in 2015... When they sold for a billion dollars. When you take that billion, you divide it by their uh, uh, output, works out to $3,600 per barrel per year. So... $155 more a barrel than Ma- than Ballast Point. Yes. And Ballast Point is very much a brewery that if you went to Constellation, they'd say, eh, we overpaid. Yes. <laughs> uh, which, the, funny, the part I found great in this article was the current CEO of Modern Times says, when I saw that price back in 2019, I said, there's no way they're worth that. Like, that is a over, like, too much money for modern times. That was too much money for Ballast Point. That's too much money for modern times. And modern times, in their defense, though, had five tasting rooms, three breweries, three kitchens, and a coffee roaster. The coffee roaster is what put, put them over, I'm thinking. That, that Which actually... does, I think, I think the article mentions 6% of like their yearly revenue. I think I did read that, yeah, which is... Alright. I'm... Not inconsiderable, but... I, Not the difference maker. Um, the sad part is now that the artifice has come crashing down, it's requiring some deep cuts to get this company back into shape. Which, as we discussed uh, last month, back in episode 91, um, Modern Times is closing down all their tap rooms, save the four in Southern California, and is focusing its distribution pretty much locally. Uh, this, of course, have meant some decisions that nobody wants to make when it comes to people's jobs and livelihoods. Decisions that Briggs see- says keeps her up at night. Uh, but despite that, has some optimism about the future. Uh, the the part of that figure, part of that trying to figure out how to get the brewery to a point where they don't put themselves in this position again. Where, I mean, essentially just pure unfettered optimism and unsustainable growth leads people to invest invest their time and yeah their lives to a certain extent into a into a business and then get absolutely nothing for it mm-hmm. um, one of the first orders of business though is changing the culture um, getting rid of that and among them is getting rid of the douche nozzle who steered this ship right into the right into the rocks of douche bro island um, Jacob McKean was uh, ousted at CEO when the worst of modern times allegations came to light, and that, and got jetpacked off the ship before it crashed. But he is still the majority owner, which means that some outsized control of the direction, the culture of the company he founded, and frankly, a sale besides providing much needed cash to stay afloat uh, would mean that they could give this fucking guy his share and send him off into the good night to blow it off on strippers and blow and whatever else his skeezy heart desires. I mean, nothing wrong with strippers and blow. But <laughs> Sorry. The, as long as you're paying for it. Tyler's just sitting there going, these are a few of my favorite <laughs> things. I mean, you want to sexually harass an employee, you're a piece of shit. You want to do some blow and pay some strippers and have a good time? <laughs> I see no problem with that one. I mean, you know, that's that is more. That it's is, your money. <laughs> it is. It is socially acceptable. Yes. Um, that's how this country runs on Wall Street. <laughs> and if I just blew your mind, it's gonna get worse for you before it gets better. Uh, the changing of the culture is the core of what Briggs is trying to do, and a lot of that has to do with the future of sustained growth. She said in the article, "quote Even if you have a great culture." Going into it, when you grow fast, you will dilute that culture unless you really, really, really invest in it. Like serious investment. If you haven't fully developed a culture and you grow fast, it's that vacuum effect. And I think we all know that nature abhors a vacuum. And you know what? Good luck to her and all the people who are working to rebuild this company. Modern Times was actually at one time one of those breweries that was making beer that got people excited. And I dearly hope they can recalibrate and do so again. Mm-hmm. And they did mention other breweries that have kind of did that rapid expansion and then pulled back. They mentioned Green Flash, which don't we've, know, we've don't covered... know if I'd want to compare myself to. I, uh, but I did. <laughs> and then um, <coughs> the one I didn't realize, but this article brought up was Colorado Ska Brewing, 
Oh, yeah. Who still does some outstanding beers and got that limited distribution footprint. I know they've got a huge manufacturing presence, so I wonder if that almost helped them get through. They were but. they uh, 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 distributed it here in Idaho for, I think, a week. I was going to say, they were. I remember them being in for a hot minute. Yeah, it really was a minute. And was that around think, the time they pulled back, or I don't did know. we just get like some random fucking order? I don't know what the what the timeline is, but it but the but the two were really close um, because it, I I would be surprised if they sent more than one truckload full of beer to to Idaho because it really was all in, and then you couldn't find them ever again. So, yeah. who was it that distributed them? I. You know, I don't know. Was it CSB? I think it was, yeah, Craig Stein, um, which they could still be on the books on that company. No one would, no one would know to know it. Yeah, I'm going to talk shit about one of the distributors here. It, it, it happens because I want 21st Amendment back. <laughs> well, I saw the 21st Amendment just announced they were adding like another state. And I was like, man, we haven't seen them in a while. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, Tyler, uh, before we before we uh, um, com- commiserate about some of our let's say lackluster distributors, uh, what do you got for us? Uh, before just one final okay. thing on the modern times. Apparently, I keep on uh, jumping the gun on you. Oh, you're fine. <sighs> I'm used to it. So is your wife being a little premature. Uh, but, I got a child. It's fine. Uh, there, the big thing with uh, modern times right now is they can't actually give a valuation to a potential buyer until at least June when because 30% of the company's owned by the employee stock option uh, and so they have to go through and revalue itself in May or June of this year and so depending what that's revalued at they could not sell it beforehand so stay tuned for what what uh, uh, that that valuation comes in, which might just be like, listen, uh, you got a hundred bucks in your wallet, it's yours. <laughs> Keep me at my same rate of pay, and you got it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Do we we have, we apparently have to uh, uh, down these beers because uh, uh, we're getting into the next story where we have a special. Uh, uh, we have a, a special guest, a special beer, or shall I say, a special. <laughs> Way to tie that in. I am nothing if not a, a marketeer. I found an article from Vine Pair uh, that talks about the incredible rise of Modelo Especial, the most important beer in America right now. And I stopped and took a double take. I know Modelo is super popular, but it never click just how popular it is right now until i actually got into the nitty-gritty of this article well take a minute let's let's, let's before we get into it let's take a minute because we because you did bring a six-pack of uh, uh modelo especial um which by the way i i think every i think we've talked about this before but i think every craft beer nerd especially hardcore craft beer nerd has their go-to well, for lack of a better word, domestic. This is obviously not a domestic, but... You know, Has their go-to light mainstream patio beer. beer. Yeah, mainstream beer. Uh, Modelo Especial is mine. Every once in a while, I, I, I need to grab a, a, one of those 20 racks and spend a weekend just pounding those. You know, if I go to a Mexican restaurant, it is this or Pacifico that I gravitate towards. I mean, if they, if, if they have this on draft, that's what I get. And it's just a, I mean, again, it's... I miss when Yardarm had cans of this. Oh, my God. For two bucks? Two bu- two dollar cans of Modelo Especial. Uh, that was lovely. I mean, it is such a nice, refreshing beer. Um, slight, slight, like, corny sweetness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hadn't had a bottle of this in years. Skunkier than I remember out of the clear bottle. And, again, why I hate fucking clear bottles. I'd rather grab the can of it. But the article actually specifically references like the gold gold foil, foil on the <laughs> on the thing. So I was like, I'm gonna buy a six pack of bottles. All right, fair enough. But yeah, uh, the article actually talks about how this has kind of almost like came up through popularity unexpectedly because it's 
a pilsner. It's not a light lager. Well, I'm not sure if I, I mean, if you're going to get at risk of uh, uh, getting uh, pedantic about beer styles, it's not really a pilsner. I mean, it's, it's a Mexican style pilsner. I would say, well, I would say that it, I mean, it's roots, it has its roots in the pilsner, but at this point in time, it's a light lager. But compared to your Bud Light, Miller Light, your heavily adjuncted light American lagers, this is nowhere near that. I mean, it still it still has quite a few, quite a bit of adjunct, which is what separates it from its uh, uh, German ancestors. Um, but your, but I mean, but your point is well taken. It's not. It still has some flavor to it. It's yes. not. It, it's bolder than you'd get from a Coors Light, which is the closest thing you can have to water with alcohol besides hard seltzer. Exactly. Uh, so. Um, the article kind of dives in, giving a little bit of backstory about this. Uh, and it references, it is currently the second best-selling beer in America, uh, falling only behind Bud Light in dollar sales. <laughs> that, that that makes me happy in my soul. So, uh, Modelo Especial, not Corona, not Heineken, or Stella Artois, has cemented its status as the best-selling imported beer in America. Um, and it is the only top five selling beer in this country that does not fall into the light category. As in like a... a, like a so American not, light lager. So American light... So yeah, so not... I, yeah, I gotcha. So... I mean, so it's still, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. There's a differentiation between like a light beer or, or German light beer and still, you know, a, a, a beer that's light in body, light in color, but still is full flavored. Yes. Um, and it's not even the most popular or recognizable Mexican beer in this country. That would be Corona. But Modelo sells better. Yes. So, uh, there is, it was about 37% of people when asked to list, like, imp, their, like, almost favorite import beer ranked, put said Corona first, or their okay. most familiar, uh, where only 7% said Modelo. But the, that sort of makes sense to me. But the Modelo drinkers came in. Where Corona drinkers will drink Modelo, it's almost like well, the Modelo drinkers. And I mean, depending on how you do that survey, too. I mean, are you asking beer drinkers or are you asking the general public? Because if you're talking, if you just ask the general public, hey, can you n name imported beers? Even somebody who doesn't drink beer will probably go, I, I don't know, Corona? Yep. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, Corona has, has way more advertising Modelo, you're starting to see more advertising for it. But, but not, it only started advertising in the United States and non-Spanish uh, commercials in the last six years. Before that, that, it was only Spanish commercials outside of the United States. Interesting. Um, so, the story kind of dates back uh, to... June 7th, 2013, when Constellation Brands <laughs> acquired the exclusive rights to import and market six of the top imported beers in the United States, among them Corona and Modelo. W one quick thing the article mentions nothing about, but from reading several books, uh, Modelo was the key to Anheuser-Busch not getting bought by InBev. In uh, the book, Barrel, or not Barrel, Wrong no, book. Uh, the book Dethroning the King, uh, all about InBev's purchase of AB. They talked about how, especially since the recession was starting to show signs of coming, lenders were starting to get wary, didn't want to lend out a lot of money. And so the reason InBev was able to buy it is they did in a cash deal. If AB would have been able to work out a deal with Modelo they would have been too big to purchase in cash. Mm -hmm. uh, but Augustus III sabotaged the deal at the 11th hour 
Because he hated Modelo. Really? He had tried to buy them multiple times, and the deal fell through, and so there was just that built-up spite. I was wondering if it was... Uh, I, 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 in my head, when you're saying that, like, this is either going to be, like, some bizarre, like, vendetta or racism. <laughs> and then partly because he didn't want his son, Augustus IV, who was spearheading the deal. Yeah. He didn't think he was strong enough to take over the company. And so by basically sabotaging this deal, it meant InBev would buy him, and he thought InBev would run the company a little bit better. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, there, there's a whole fucked up family <laughs> dynamic that happened there. And the book kind of looks at, did he do it because he hated Modelo, or did he do it because... His son's a twit. He just really wanted to stick it to his son. So his son might not be a twit. He just has... His son was a fuck-up, but started to get better and had worked through the ranks, but he wasn't as cutthroat as he was. Ah. Augustus III forcefully removed his father from Anheuser-Busch ranks. You must you must unseat me, son, or you are not worthy! Basically. <laughs> uh, Bring it, bitch! Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, Augustus III was who got Anheuser-Busch to... 51% of the market cap. Yeah. Um, so, I I always, I'm like, oh man, every time I see Modelo, I'm like, you were the key to Anheuser-Busch remaining an American company. Ironically enough. Ironically enough. Uh, and then the fact that you were purchased gave basically Constellation Brands the chance to take that, and now it's the best, second best selling beer you guys could have had that in your portfolio <laughs> and probably been running 60% of the beer market well, I mean, that's... between Modelo and Bud Light. Well, and Constellation is far and away the largest importer because they have Modelo, Constellation. Or Modelo, Corona, Dos Equis. Yeah. Um, so, they dive into um, the IRI data on this. Uh, year to date, it's the number one growth brand, racking up 144 million in extra sales compared to the same period in 2020. Um, it is the second best selling beer in the past 12 weeks in IRI data, and the third best seller over the last 12 months. Uh, it's the number one imported beer. It totaled sales more than $2.8 billion last year. Uh, $86 million shy of outperforming both the second and third best-selling beers combined of Corona and Heineken. Damn. Uh, so, it's kind of a phenom. Uh, and the article actually talks about how whether you should be... If you're feeling shocked and impressed, you're not alone. Because... Modella is still relatively unknown when it cracks down into the beer market. Uh, like I said, 7% of general market drinkers um, were able to identify it in brand awareness. Mm -hmm. um, where Corona is close to 35. Damn. Um, and it's... The markets where the brand has taken off, people love it. Chicago, Dallas, San Francisco, Oakland, Las Vegas, Sacramento, and Los Angeles are where Modelo Especial is the best-selling beer outright, according to IRI hmm. data. Um, that is very much in conjunction with the Hispanic community. Uh, that is their biggest growth, and as the Hispanic population grows in the United States, so does their market cap. But they went from really hammering in on focus on the Hispanic community to, okay, we have our core group, we, the Hispanic community identifies with Modelo, to let's start expanding outside of that and growing and growing. Um, they also mentioned how they don't advertise it as a health and wellness beer, but 
it's one of basically the only beers that are growing outside the health and wellness beer categories. <laughs> Um, so somehow, like, in consumers' minds, they've lumped this in as, if I'm going to have a beer, it's... going to be Modelo, because it's... Light. It's not as bad? Uh, I mean, I guess it's, if you're, if, if it's between a craft beer and this one, you're probably looking at lower carbs, lower calories, etc., etc. Yeah. Uh, Lester Jones, the chief economist of the National Beer Wholesalers Association, actually talked uh, the distributors for Modelo basically took that old school beer approach that worked for so many years and still works today. Looking at that, they pushed it through the on-prem channels first, got all those handle placements, got people drinking it, and then it. they in turn started going to grocery stores being like, yo, where can I get Modelo? And... The stores then turned to the distributor and said, can I get cans? <laughs> They're like, here you go. Uh, they talked to Buffalo Wild Wings, and this was one that really got me. Buffalo Wild Wings talked about how it started taking off for them. And they used to have two Mexican loggers in all their stores. Yeah. And then... Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Murphy took over and actually got him to break it up kind of by regions. And he's like, in places like the Southwest, that was by far our best selling. And we were going through it so quick that we basically needed to add more. He's like, so in certain markets, yeah, two is fine. Other markets, we need four or five. Damn. Uh, And so they'd add four or five Mexican loggers like in the Southwest and... It, but yeah, it makes sense. It, it sold. And then he talked about how Modelo is a huge advertiser in UFC. He said if you were to overlay like the core fan of UFC, the core fan of Buffalo Wild Wings, and the core fan of Modelo. <laughs> that Venn diagram has it, a very drunken, violent center. I was going to say, and not much is not in that center. Uh, and so he talked about how they started to realize that, and they realized they used to discount Modelo during happy hour, and they were leaving money on the table, so yeah. they stopped discounting it during happy hour, and sales did not dip whatsoever. Yeah. Because the people who wanted a Modelo didn't care if it was a dollar off, they were going to order it. Even if every other beer was a dollar off, they're like, yeah, but I really want my Modelo. Yep. That's impressive. So, um... Like I said, super heavy in the Hispanic base. Uh, it's seen a rise of 20% among non-Hispanic drinkers. So they're starting to kind of branch out. Hints by two white dudes uh, talking about Modelo on a craft beer podcast. <laughs> I was say, it's about, yeah, that, that makes it about as hipster as you can get. Uh, and then they've started adding other major sporting events. Sponsorships with the Las Vegas Raiders, LA Galaxy, Chicago White Sox, and Golden State Warriors. Um, but it's really just kind of the little engine that could that no one saw coming. Where they started off as this brand, not really advertising except to their core drinkers. Their core drinkers really embraced it, promoted it. It started growing. They started adding more variety, started targeting other drinkers. Now they've got the 7-ounce bottles. They've got 32-ounce bottles. They've got cans, bottles, drafts. And you can find it almost fucking anywhere. Testament to, I mean, how much, you know, the loyalty to a brand does count for something. You know, you're talking about outside of, a, outside of your core customers, no one really mm-hmm. knowing about it. Two... Second biggest beer in the United States, and based on the based on the enthusiasm, let's face it, the livers of mm-hmm. a, of a of also that that is a testament what a motivated distribution team can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, Constellation paid four point seven five billion dollars for Grupo Modelo, and you gotta say. That's the best deal. That, that's the best brewery they fucking bought. 
recently at, le- at least. Not the, as I say, it's, it's one of the more expensive, but at least I, 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 it'd be hard to argue they overpaid for this one. Yes, 100%. <laughs> Jeremy, what do we got next? Uh, beer is the revolution news now. Um, back to a theme of shitty beer laws. Um, although, I think after that piece about Mississippi back in episode 90, I think we've reached hopefully the apex of you know how weird american beer laws can get how stupid they can be i mean i'm sure we haven't reached the end point of that but uh maybe we've we've seen the about as weird frequency we have to talk about it um so it's time to head abroad then this piece comes from the guardian by uh, rebecca radcliffe and uh uh devon sierra sierra dip dip Okay, let's just get this out of the way now. Apologies to the people in this article and indeed the people of Thailand for my pronunciation. I will try. I'm going to fail. <laughs> um, right now, Thailand is basically it's basically illegal for anybody except for the largest beer producers to make and sell beer, which is controlled by two companies. Uh, Thai Beverage, which uh, they make uh, Shang beer, and then there's uh, uh, Boon Rod, which makes Singa and Leo. Uh Brew pubs must have a capital of 10 million baht, which is about 30,000 30, American, okay. um, to even get a brewery license. And even if you have that, the brew pub must produce uh, 100,000 liters a year while only serving beer on premise. Uh, 100,000 liters works out to about 852 barrels a year, which is, again, not a lot to be honest. And in fact, in the United States, you probably have to be producing at least five times that in order to be profitable. But no, I mean, I was like, look, I was looking, looking, I was like looking around and and most breweries from the, around town produce about a thousand barrels a year. I mean, what I was, I was kind of looking around, like you're looking at about three to four to like to 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 what I was kind of reading to be depends. Are you selling primarily in-house? Are you selling I think that's to do distribution? both. But so, it, according to that, it's all got to be sold in-house. But it's all, yeah. You're, it's, it, yeah, you're it's going all... to be plenty profitable. At least if it was set in the United States. Kings and Convicts produced 1,000 barrels a year and bought Ballast Point. So. Fair enough. Um, but you also have to do that right out of the gate. I mean, you can't, to even get the license to brew, you need to have that capital. You need to have that capability. Um, which could be a barrier for someone getting started. Yes. Also, if you're selling alcohol in Thailand, you cannot advertise at all. Um, you can even be fined 50,000 baht, a little over 1,500 American, uh, for any post on social media uh, that features your label. Even if you didn't post it? Uh no, if if it's tied to your account, that's okay. kind of the way it makes sound. So, like, if I were to tag a brewery over there, they wouldn't get fined. They wouldn't get fined, no. But if they tried to, but if they did it, it would be, I mean, um, the way the article made it sound, if they tried to do it, that's advertising and they'll get okay. fined for it. Um, and the reason for these restrictions is basically threefold. Number one. Good old-fashioned crony capitalism. Um, it would seem that the two major producers uh, go to great lengths to make sure that their duopoly is protected. The other is religious. Uh, Buddhist doctrine also demonizes booze and thus makes it easier for pious leaders to impose restrictions on the demon drink. Uh, and that sound that you are hearing right now is a hundred old Southern Baptists coming in their pants. I thought the Buddhists... Buddhists, I thought you were cooler than this, but apparently you're, you're not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Thailand. I had a buddy working for a marketing company. And they were marketing for a Mormon company. I want to say it was Sensi. Yeah. And the only way you market in Thailand is using sex. Like, yeah. if you don't include, like, something sexual, like, you will get zero traction. Really? And I, I can't remember if it's actually Thailand, but I'm about 60% sure. And I bet the Mormons are like, but our special underpants. And so it then became like, how the fuck do we market? <laughs> because we're not oh, doing that. What I wouldn't give to have been The sit conundrum. In, what what I wouldn't give to have sit, sit in on that meeting. So, um... How do we make money if we can't do this? Uh, I, I heard... 
Like a friend of mine will say booby. Can if we say booby, does that work? <laughs> like, <laughs> but watching them struggle because like the Mormons love for money. They're like, <laughs> they're like, but there's money over there. Like, how do we get it? <laughs> by 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 dropping your special underpants. <laughs> anyway, uh, there is a third factor. Um, and that is craft beer in Thailand has a bit of a revolutionary history. After the coup that established a kind of military junta to support the monarchy, pro-democracy advocates would often meet in craft beer bars. Uh, the article likens them to the coffee shops that dotted Paris that became the birthplace of the French Revolution. Which, of course, complicates things because very few leaders put much time and effort into supporting and protecting establishments where people gather to talk about how, at best, we should vote you out, and at worst... We cut off your head. Exactly. Um... And I think we talked actually a lot about the laws and the restrictions back in episode 41 Mm -hmm. um, about the emerging and very underground craft beer movement. And how they were trying to go mainstream. Right. Um, But but there are some factors right now that are changing that. Um, uh, Teo Hip Hop Lim J. Rekorn is a member of parliament and he's trying to at least loosen uh, some of the restrictions on craft beer, allowing it to compete in his country. Uh, he drafted a law on excise tax and hopes that that could be the first step in modernizing the industry that, especially in recent years, has been taken a bit of a pummeling. Um, alcohol and bars uh, took an especially bad hit during the pandemic. Um, as well, they, I feel over there it's all on-premise. Well, see, exactly. And by the way, um, they were both arguably unfairly scapegoated by the government and the public for the spread of corona. Oh, Jason Kovac just creamed his pants right there. Right there, right? <laughs> um, the article mentions a tap room called uh, uh, Duck Q House, um, which is which is a home both to an impressive uh, supply of foreign beers, and it turns out five ghosts. It mentioned the five... A little, little underwhelming with five. I, that's pretty good. I mean, most of the places that Portland I go only has one or two. Five is impressive. Yeah, but you got to think the history of murder and genocide over in Thailand. I'd figure there'd be at in least a house. dozen. <laughs> there'd be at least a dozen. Not just wandering around. Okay, you, there's no pleasing you. Nope. You go to that place like, yes, we have five ghosts here. You're like, fuck you. I want a dozen. I got <laughs> ten fingers. <laughs> and I want each of them in a ghost? <laughs> <laughs> Don't kink shame me. <laughs> there are... There are... There are... Uh, um, uh, they do carry some Thai craft beers, but they are actually usually brewed in a different country and then imported just to, to get around some of the restrictions that are in Thailand, um, which, of course, raises the price considerably. Um, they're also, they were also not compensated in any way, uh, not, not with uh, you know, any government support or anything else, of course, not with customers during the in pandemic, which, according to the owners, uh, they're surprised they're still, uh, they're still open down there. Um, and then there are those that decide that unfair and restrictive laws are just not their cup of tea. Uh, the article talks about a man. I mean, let's be honest. That's how America was founded. They didn't, it was a bunch of rich white dudes who didn't want to pay taxes. Pretty much. Which I don't blame you. I, paying taxes sucks. I, I try to avoid it myself. I just wish I was as good at it as some of the billionaires. Fuck, right? Amen, brother. Um, the article talks about a man named, uh, Niam Xiao who runs an underground brewery utilizing uh, the rich native produce to bring interesting new flavors to his beer. He boils the pulp of jackfruit and blends mango and utilizes other ingredients. You know, the kind of things that would make brewers all over this country pop a little hipster boner in the coveralls. (laughs) Um, And that, for him, is kind of the tragedy. Thailand has, you know, growing all over it, a wealth of fruits and spices and everything that brewers in the West can only get via extracts. If they can get them at all, uh, to get word out about his product, he relies on word of, word of mouth, uh, speaking basically through trusted contacts. I mean, basically, you know, it's a little speakeasy operation. Um, which speaking of speakeasy, I saw something today where it was quoted a back in prohibition, uh, a former like prohibition agent went to do research how long it could take him to find alcohol in certain cities chicago was the leader at 21 minutes okay 
And then he went to New Orleans, and it was 31 seconds. Because <laughs> uh, he got in a cab in New Orleans and says, where can I find alcohol? And the guy goes, right here, brother. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that sounds like New Orleans. That sounds like the city that, yeah, that's, that, that sounds like the city built on a river of mud. Yeah. <laughs> Below sea level, yeah. That's a... I- I love that city so much. You so that's city. only what I can hope Thailand to become it's is a dirty, dirty whore of a city. Um, <laughs> I hope that is what Thailand and, is. Just that <laughs> prohibition, like backlash, where they're like, "Yeah, we know it's barred, but you want some?" <laughs> that sounds kind of like what it is. Um, in the end, there's some hope for some change, but meantime, uh, brewers like Nancyal uh, will do as. You say thousands, if not millions, of people have done all over throughout human history. He's going to brew his booze and give the finger to the man. Hell yeah, brother! Um, there's a, actually a really good picture of. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll post that. Uh, post this picture. Um, um, see if I happen to have it on me. Uh, of some of the some of his labels lined up, and they are truly exquisite. They I are, think I saw it like that in the cover photo of the article. It was basically a lineup of, it looks like just kind of like you scrolled, scrawled it in marker and like, that's my beer labels. Fuck yeah. And you know what? Um, take your, you know, take your fancy, you know, epic art and like just trademark infringement and yeah. shove it up yeah. your ass. He's like, he just like, he just, I think at one point he just wrote, fuck you beer. <laughs> <laughs> Which, you know what? I think it, it, deep in, deep in my heart of hearts. I, I'd buy it. I, who wouldn't? <laughs> be honest though i'm a sucker for like just the super plain labels like you throw like if someone came out and just did like the old school like generic just like white beer, label and just said beer I'd you would be it. like that'd be your new that'd be your new beer i'd be like well babe i need beer or i like the clever like marketing cacks like really pissed off the wife one time when Bushlight did the corn cans okay she's like Hey, can you go to the store and get this and this? And I was like, yeah. I was like, babe, I also bought some corn when I was there. She's like, I didn't tell you to buy corn, but okay, I'll start cooking some corn. And I set it down. She goes, where's the corn? (laughs) I was like, right here. And she goes, I hate you so much. (laughs) And you were, I I can tell right now you're like, you're still pleased with yourself. Yeah. It's a good time. But, well, hopefully Thailand can make this progress, actually have the full craft beer revolution. Because I'd be interested to see, like you, like the article actually mentions, there's some wild fruits you can infuse with over there that would just be crazy. Again, I mean, you talk about some of the ingredients, you have access there that, that are either hard or impossible to get here. Yeah, there's there's some brewery there, there's some guy in Colorado sitting in a brewery just like I I I just I just got semi erect right now and I don't know why. Can I go to Thailand? <laughs> the answer is yes, yes you can. <laughs> uh, anyway, well, if anyone has can get us some beer from Thailand, we will gladly <laughs> drink it and raise a middle finger to the current government over there. <laughs> because you it's actually illegal to do so where you live. So <laughs> Tyler, what's next for us? Well, we're going to hop into what makes a lifestyle brand. Jeremy's favorite type of beer. I think I, I think at one point in time, I think it was I think I called it uh, Dude, Dude Bro, Bro on the Dude Bro on the Beach. I, I think just, it was like episode 3 or 4. It was early early in the podcast that the idea of a lifestyle brand kind of irked me, and that's now I've now I'm forever branded as a hater of all lifestyle brands. And yeah. You know what? I stand by that. So, uh, this was an article on craftbrewingbusiness.com by Isaac Arthur um, from Kodo Design. Um, kind of starts off with basically what is a lifestyle brand? Does it have to be aspirational? Can it be more utilitarian? Uh, well, they decided to sit down and speak with the co-founder of Montucky Cold Snacks. We've <laughs> actually talked about them through a we- couple of little articles. How they've just taken off with super small distribution and being all contract brewed. And the only beer they make is a single light lager in 16 ounce cans. They do it in 12s too. So, But I mean, but a life, they're a lifestyle brand. Yes. So 
Um, Living the Montucky life. Yeah. So Jeremy Gregory uh, describes the lifestyle brand as positioning your brand as a welcome companion to whatever it is that brings someone joy. Which I don't disagree with. A welcome companion to anything that brings someone joy. Yes. Then booze is a is a lifestyle brand. Yes, but <laughs> all alcohol for me is a lifestyle brand. <laughs> Where you can actually identify with what that brand resonates. Um. So, um, in the article, they it the whole article is just an interview with Jeremy. Um, which the best part of this whole article is his name is Jeremy as well. And it, I'm like, every time I saw Jeremy, I'm like, Jeremy hates lifestyle brands. This is great. Uh, I'm ambivalent towards lifestyle brands. No, you hate them. Uh, so if you're not, if you're like, what the fuck is Montucky cold snacks? A little bit of a rundown. Uh, so two buddies graduated from college, decided they wanted to open a brewery. Found out no bank was going to loan two drunk, fresh-out-of-college kids enough money to start a brewery. That's when they learned about contract brewing. They both had backgrounds in marketing. They were like, wait, we don't actually have to brew the beer? Like, we can have someone else brew it and we just market it and sell it? Sign us the fuck like, up. That's what we wanted to do anyway. We have to yeah. rent that out as it was. So, uh, they started with that, but... They're based out of Montana, contract brewed out of Wisconsin, but their big thing was they wanted to kind of give back. A lot of their friends were raft guides, fly fishing guides, outdoor ski bums, different things like that. Uh, But they were like, we want to give back to the communities that we're a part of. So uh, they donate 8% of all their beer sold back to local charities for markets they're in. Which is a, a... There's something really brilliant about how they present that on the can because i don't know how many times you know someone's asked what the abv is on that can i start looking and go oh it's eight eight percent oh no wait it's eight percent to charity to local charity <laughs> it's just so. where it is like eight percent no oh wait eight percent to local charity okay yeah <laughs> uh, so um they have two total products it's a basic lager and a simple grapefruit seltzer mm-hmm. that is all they make uh and the seltzer is fairly new yes um i think the seltzer within came, this last year or so came out last year yes yeah uh, so they said the reason they wanted to help to donate eight percent back to communities was uh they wanted to help people live richer lives and reinvent their communities in impactful ways um so the question then is, what makes Montucky, Montucky Cold Snacks a lifestyle brand? Also, if you're like, why the fuck do they keep calling it Montucky? <laughs> so, if you get up into some of the backwood towns of Montana, it's similar to the backwoods towns of Kentucky. I mean, so, I think, Montana, Kentucky, Montucky. I think, I, think, I think every, I think most states have their, like, you know. They're Montucky. They have, a, you add Tucky to the end. You got Pencil Tucky, you got. I forget what they... There's something about Ohio that they... Yeah. But I mean, there's there are backwoods in every state that they just mm-hmm. add Tucky to it. And Kentucky yeah. is the Tucky of the And United then States. you're like, what the fuck is a cold snack? Well, a cold snack is a cold can of beer. <laughs> it's when you're bored looking for a snack in the fridge, you open it up, you see a beer, you want to grab a cold snack. <laughs> uh, so, uh, the co-founder said... What makes them a lifestyle brand is not overthinking the moment, not trying to be everyone else's moment. Uh, They're just genuinely them welcoming others and celebrating who they are. Um, You know, what makes them successful at that? They're who they are, very true to themselves, and they let their customers be themselves and have fun. Uh, Which it kind of... They talk about a little bit later of so many companies try to be a lifestyle brand or try to keep up with the fads. And they talk about how if you're chasing fads, by the time you get to the fad, it's already you're behind the eight ball. Right. And then you seem super disingenuous in your marketing by 
they took that the similar approach to Modelo. They focused on their target customers. And no one really kind of realizes how much field work, market activation, continuous marketing goes in to doing that. And they mention how uh, it's a lot of work if you're trying to be a brand that you're not. But by just embracing the identity that the founders have as and knowing what brand identity you want your brand to have and hiring for that, it just reinforces that because that's what people are living in their everyday life. I mean, it kind of goes back, you know, wh- wh- where we started, where uh, the the founder or the new CEO of uh, Modern Times was saying, where you said, where, where she was saying, like, you know, we're talking about forming a culture. If you grow mm-hmm. too fast uh, and you don't really, really work on that with, you know, you, your growth, they're just you just get to a point where you're mm-hmm. you've outgrown your culture. And as she said, nature pours a vacuum. Yep. Uh, They talk about how they were real fun, lighthearted. So they went with the retro style can of the 70s colors of that Montana license, 70s retro Montana license plate. Is that what what the going for a Montana license plate? Yep. So Uh, if you Google like retro Montana license plate. You'll see it's almost the, the exact colors of their fucking can. They just added the horse. Um, and because of their ties to friends in the outdoor community, they wanted to take that kind of ski bum approach, the outdoor guide approach. And not a lot of their friends who worked those ski bums, outdoor guides... I mean, I'm sorry, but I, I decided to look up like '70s Montana license plate. It's blue. It's white. It's nothing that. But so you add more of that retro vibe. Okay. But if you look at the can, look at that, you can see where they're getting it. Fair enough. Um, they talked about how a lot of their friends they couldn't produce a big imperial IPA because a lot of their friends who'd want to support them couldn't afford it. So that's why they went with the light lager. They did the retro, which their ski bum friends dug the shit out of. You look at the swag you can buy on their website. They have a full fucking ski onesie that looks like it's straight from the 70s. They really embraced that. Um, The one question that really kind of got me, it goes, there's a perception that if you focus too tightly on one audience or subculture... You will exclude a bunch of people who otherwise may buy your beer. Montucky started with that super tight positioning and has grown at an incredible clip. Um, Why focusing on that core audience is good for a lifestyle brand. What would you recommend? It goes, if your roots and found, it's your roots and foundation. You can go, very rarely can you go everywhere and find success. You lay your roots with your core customers and evolve new customers as makes sense. And let those core customers help evolve you out. Um, well, and it goes back to what they were saying. I mean, if you're trying to chase trends and, you know, the, the disingenuousness, you know, mm-hmm. comes out pretty quickly. Um, or just it may be genuine on the social media, but you could be in a, two states away and you run into the rep that isn't in line with those core values. And you're like, this dude's just here to get a sale like he doesn't line up with the brand that i see but i mean it's also like i mean it says about the perils of uh you know focusing too tightly on one brand or you know or one group of people but the you know the the other flip side of that is if you're kind of doing your own thing and being welcoming uh to you know in your messaging the answer is come join us we're having fun (laughs) we're having fun we're who we are be who you want to be (laughs) But also, this is what we're about. We're, you know, if you can tie in, awesome. say, you know, this this is what we're into, and if you can be into it now, come join us. Yeah, <laughs> and expand that funnel up. Yeah. Uh, which we kind of mentioned, Modelo did a great job of it with being that core Hispanic group, and then slowly starting to expand out until you know a couple of beardy white boys and are doing a podcast about. It. Well, one beardy white boy. Yeah. 
<laughs> and one genetically incapable of it. So, uh, final question. They asked him, uh, which is more shotgunnable, cold <laughs> snacks or the cold hard seltzer? <laughs> and would you like to know his answer? Um, I'm going to say that... Well, I'm going to assume that the, the, the seltzer is more highly carbonated, so I'm going to say the original. He says... People shotgun seltzers. <laughs> better answer. Better answer. I was like, that is the greatest answer. Be- better answer. I <laughs> because it's it's staying true to the brand. It's we're here to drink beer. We're here to have a good time. Why the fuck would you do that? But if you want to do it, do it. <laughs> better answer. Oh, so. Now, Jeremy, you've got all the keys to build your own lifestyle brand. I'm on it. I'm, I'm, Go forth, my son. I'm not sure what my brands would be based on. Uh, if you want I to... almost brought the Montucky, either cold snacks or hard seltzer. I was like, uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> An Ada County, a Modelo, and a and, and Montucky. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> Goddamn <the> Modelo. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, anything else today? Uh, nope, that's about it. All right, well, uh, this has been It's All Beer. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, we're on Twitter. We post all of the stories we use um, to to uh, 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 to do this podcast. I also, you can also find me some talking some shit that uh, that happens every once in a while. Uh, it's all it uh, on Twitter at It's All Beer One. Uh, you can find us on uh, on Instagram and Facebook. I post funny pictures and what have you there as well as episode updates uh, at It's All Beer. Um, if you have a story you want us to do, um, you can get a hold of us at It's All Beer at gmail.com. And if you are so inclined, uh, you can rate this podcast on Facebook or on iTunes or Stitcher or something. Um, also, I realized I already passed on my spot, but quick side note, I just remembered I saw our friend Chris McGinnis over at Gem State Brewing just passed his city inspection. Uh, texted me today. They're starting on demolition of the building that was on site to start building their new building. So uh, we should probably try to get him back on so we can have an update of <laughs> Gem State after the couple years of the COVID hiatus. Preview of coming attractions, surely, because, yeah, we did that way, way back. Uh, uh, that was a couple of years ago. Um, but uh, congratulations, Chris, and I think that'll be quite enough from us. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. I'm going to go drink a Modelo. Have fun. <laughs> I forgot I always say that. <laughs>